grew up in the country. I don't know if anyone knows where like Harlan Ranch is uh, out in Clovis, what probably used to be considered more country than it is now because there's a lot more homes than there was. I grew up dirt bikes and shooting BB guns and going in the orange orchards and like dove hunting, like just like around my house more or less. And uh, it's very different now. And, and a part of what, the, what what happened is we lived on this cul-de-sac off of a street called Locan, and a lot of homes started to get developed at the end of the main street that we lived off of. And with more homes, you have more people, and with more people, you have more people driving. And what used to be very open, slow, darkly lit, uh, not lit at all, country roads are now more fast-paced streets of more traffic and people going. And um, my mom, uh, one time, was, was coming home. She was coming home from uh, wherever she was. And you would take off of the main street, you would take a left onto our cul-de-sac. And as she's going, she's about to take a left, and there's a car that flies by her on her left side at about 60 miles an hour just flying down this main street. And if you could imagine, she has older kids at this point who are starting to drive, kind of the, the mama bear feeling of like, I could, if she had turned any sooner, this person just T-bones her in the driver's seat. Imagine if, not only if that happens there, but what if it happens to one of her kids that's driving home at night? So naturally, like any good mother would, she floors it and chases the person that's driving 60 miles an hour down the street. And doesn't just chase him, he turns off into his neighborhood and follows this car. He then turns into his own cul-de-sac and pulls in his driveway and she pulls into the cul-de-sac, rolls down her window, and I'm sure very graciously and gently said, hey, what are you doing? Don't ever do that again. How dare you speed by me? Whatever it is. And he kind of nods and walks in the house and that's about it. Driving home, I'm sure the Emotions, the curiosity, maybe start to dissipate a little bit. And then three weeks later, she's in the Starbucks not too far from our house, and she notices a gentleman who looked oddly familiar and very similar to the man who got out of the car and kind of gave her a hand before he went into the house. So she walked up and actually felt bad. Like, hey, did this happen a few weeks ago? Like, I'm so sorry. Here's here's what happened. And I got frustrated and blah, blah, and he goes, ma'am, no, I'm so sorry. I had the worst diarrhea, and I just had to get home. <laughs> I don't know why I tell you that story other than it's hilarious, <laughs> but, but maybe there's a way of connecting this to the idea that oftentimes the things in our lives that we see, we don't actually know the full story behind. We don't actually know the reason why things are happening. We can't actually see the full picture. We can only see what we can see. And the challenge in that, is there anything like me, is that you will base your life off of only what you can see. Your decisions, your interactions, the way you work with, treat, respond to other people, the way you show up this morning, whatever it is, we, we are constantly making decisions off of what we can see. And I wonder this morning, and this is the part, I wonder how far to go into this, but like my, my heart is just heavy this morning because when circumstances change, when things don't go the way that we expected them to, when they go the way that we don't want to, when they go the way that are hard and challenging and hurtful, when they go the way where it feels like I just can't see my way through this, when they go the way that this is the last thing that I wanted, when they go the way like, God, I can't imagine why would this happen? 
I wonder how you respond in those times. Because I've wondered this week and assessed, like, how do I respond when things don't go the way I want them to? And then secondly, I ask you, do you have joy when things don't go the way that you want them to? Do you have joy when things in life just aren't working out the way you wanted them to? Do do you have joy when things are happening that are pretty bad, when things are really heavy, when things suck, when things are just the worst from what you can see? Because I would bet, like my own life, I can look back, even in the last months, moments where I just had zero joy. And I'm just kind of going through, and I can put on a smile here, and I can put on a smile there, and I don't think joy is just about having like rainbows and unicorns and always like skipping around through life. But that there's this idea that when the things are going the way I don't want them to, do I actually change in who I am and who, who God has called me to be? Because throughout the scriptures, what we see is a God who's calling his people to be joyful. And everyone responds a little bit differently, but I love how Henry Nouwen put it like this. <clears throat> joy is what makes life worth living. But for many, joy seems hard to find. They complain that their lives are sorrowful and depressing. What then brings the joy we so much desire? Are some people just lucky while others run out of luck? Strange as it may sound, we can choose joy. Two people can be part of the same event, but one may choose to live it quite differently from the other. One may choose to trust that what happened, painful as it may be, holds a promise. The other may choose despair, and be destroyed by it. Now you can think about, maybe there's that person in your life that they just kind of seem to always be joyful, and you're kind of like, dude, you're annoying. Like, this isn't a moment to be, like, happy and peppy, and you're like, is this authentic? I think he's faking it. I think she's faking it. But sometimes there are these people, but I bet you for most, we see more people who don't have any joy at all. Natalie and I have been buying gift cards this week for the Neighborhood Industries Christmas party, and Target has limits to how many gift cards you can buy, and then our credit card seems to be thinking that we're going around making fraudulent purchases, so they keep blocking it every single time, and we can only go one store like a day, and then I'm on the phone, and there's hours put in, and it is infuriating. But apparently it's not as infuriating as the person in line when the light goes off in the checkout line that they got to move a line over. Someone was literally like cussing out their spouse in line because they had to shift lines because the gal said, oh, sorry, my lane's closed. And I'm like, all it took was for them to have to shift over still the same amount of people in front of them, and they are like destroyed over it. So I get the feeling of being in the store and being massively frustrated, but then I can also see the very quick moment where joy is just gone, that somehow I can still live my life even though I need to kind of change. Do you feel these things ever? Like things that come up, and I know that some of you are in these things right now in very heavy and extreme ways. And I don't think God is one that's saying, man, put on the smile and skip around through life. But I think he is saying this morning that no matter what you are going through, no matter what you have been, and no matter what you're going to go through, is that you can still have joy. That your life does not have to be sorrowful. That it doesn't have to be a woe is me. That still there is a promise to hold on to that God can still work through our lives, no matter what we're feeling. And this is where Advent comes in as we look and light the candle of joy today. 
And each Sunday as we prepare for the birth of Jesus and we prepare for the, the promise that Jesus has to come back, we relook at the things that he's called us to, and one of those being to be a people of joy. And what's interesting is when you look at joy through Scripture, oftentimes it's not commanded to be joyful when things are good. It's actually commanded to be joyful when things are hard, when things are bad, when things are not going our way. But again, if you're a fickle person like me, joy is something that comes and goes. It's actually easier to, to, to um, just settle for happiness because I can get happiness pretty quick. Give me a good vanilla latte from a coffee shop. Like, that's mm, joy, right? Didn't Starbucks put it on their cups? I, I don't know. But like, like, there's little things I can do. I can get, I can, whatever it is, and I can have these moments. But oftentimes, those happiness moments are just fleeting. They're short-lived. And it's hard. And it's hard. So real quick, a quote, a passage, a practice, and then we pray. Dallas Willard said this, Joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being that flows from vision, peace, righteousness, and hope. True joy is robust. Even including outright hilarity, we can experience the joy of being in God's kingdom even in the midst of suffering and loss. And you might be here this morning having a pretty good day and a pretty good week and a pretty good month, and maybe it's just there. And then some of you are on the complete opposite, saying this is actually the hardest day, week, month of my life. And some might just be in the middle. But either way, I think the scriptures indicate how we can actually be people of joy. Because you know when you're around people with joy? You feel that? Like it changes rooms. It changes atmospheres when someone can be joyful in the midst of what they're going through. And it's not a fake it till you make, make it. It's not just putting a show on for people so they don't actually ask the question of what's really wrong. It's actually being fully vulnerable with what is hard about life, what is heavy about life. But also being able to hold on to this promise that God's kingdom can bring joy no matter the circumstance. And so each Sunday we're looking at different characters that we would see in the nativity scene of Jesus, as many of you have seen. And today we pick up in Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's three characters here in this set that I think it would be good for us to look at. Another way of translating that, Matthew 2.10, actually says it this way in regard to joy. 
when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. You have King Herod, you have the religious leaders, and you have the Magi. And when the Magi saw the star, they were filled with joy. Another translation says that they actually exalted out of the, 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 over, the overflowing of joy that they had inside of them. They rejoiced, they praised. We eventually see it lead to worship. But what we see in here is I don't think this is just a guest list of who showed up to the birthday party for Jesus. I think we actually see Matthew very intentionally craft, crafting a few characters for us to look at, to hold a mirror and to think about the differences. We see King Herod, we know that he actually goes on to, to kill all the boys that were, were born in the last two years. Because the time from the Magi hearing about this to see the star, we didn't have self-driving Teslas or airplanes, so it literally took years for them to get there, the news to get back, all everything. So King Herod said, I need to get rid of potentially any boy under the age of two because it might be him. Because King Herod felt imposed on. He felt like he was going to lose out to another king because he could be the only king. So what we see in King Herod, we see someone who responds with hostility. We see someone who responds with hostility to say, this cannot be the news that Jesus is coming, the news that Jesus will be king, the news that Jesus will have his way, the news that Jesus will rule, the news that can't happen. I need to respond with hostility. And it might not be hostility because it is a very strong word, but maybe for you there's resistance. Another one is the religious leaders. These are people who had it all. They even said, yeah, man, the prophet quoted exactly where it's going to be. We know exactly where it's at. We saw this time coming. We've got all the answers. And so we see the response of the religious leaders. They respond with neutrality. Though they have all the answers, though they know what's to come, though they know who Jesus is to be, they don't move. There's no response. There's indifference. They're neutral. There's nothing to move on for them. But then what we see is we see the Magi, and just about the Magi for a second, what's interesting about them is sometimes we have uh, stories and songs that call them the three kings. We have the three wise men. But from a Jewish perspective, they were outsiders. They were astrologists. They read the stars. They worshiped in different ways. They did not fit the norm of the culture religiously. They were seen as the fringe trying new age things that does not fit the narrative of God's kingdom or the scriptures that have come before us. But what's interesting about them is they respond with mystery. Hostility, neutrality, mystery. I think a part of what Matthew is trying to get us to see and to ask ourselves is how do we respond to Jesus? When, when he, we hear the good news, when we hear the coming of Jesus, when we hear the ways in which Jesus is coming in to rule our lives, how do we respond? When he is coming to say, you have, cannot have any other gods but worship me. When he is coming to say that you cannot do anything apart yourself, but only if you abide in me. And then when he starts to ask us of things like forgiveness, when he starts to ask us of things like generosity, when he starts to ask us of things to give grace and to give mercy, 
And when he starts to tell us things that, hey, in this world you will have trouble, things are not going to go your way, but I have overcome, and in that you can have hope. When he starts to say things like this, how do we respond? Do we just know it? Like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, I remember that, I memorized that passage. I memorized the things that Jesus said. Like, that's, I have the answers. I, I got good doctrine and good theology. And, but then do we actually move? Do we actually change? King Herod, do we respond with hostility? And again, it might not be like, I'm going to go cause harm, but I'm going to resist. I'm going to push against. I'm going to find my way out of. Because the context I'm in, the thing that is happening, the thing I did not see coming nor wanted, I cannot have joy. So I cannot live joyfully. I cannot live out the way, which if you saw the Magi, it resorted in worship. The same thing King Herod said he wanted to do. Tell me where he is so I can go worship him. And then we actually see the Magi come and give gifts. They bow down and they begin to worship him. And I think God's command for joy and the thing he invites us into is so that it actually turns towards worship. Because if we look for satisfaction in the contexts that are hard to find happiness, we will settle for just the presence under the tree. We will settle for just the minutes and the moments that we're trying to get through the thing that's hard. But what he is saying over and over and over again, if you are joyful, you will worship me, and this is where you will find all things that you're looking for. When you are connected to me, when you are resisting the things that you most naturally want to give into and run to, worship. When you're having the hard time with the person, with the relationship, whatever it is, worship. When job is not, your job is not satisfactory, when things are not going well, worship me. Over and over again. So can we be joyful people. And I wonder for us this morning, where do you land? Where do you land this morning? So what I want to do is just, let's pause for one minute. You can close your eyes if you trust me. I just want to pause and I honestly just want you to ask God, Let him bring to mind what area of your life are you lacking joy right now? Maybe one layer deeper that could help you get there. What situation in your life unexpected or unwanted that is stealing joy from you right now. You don't need to do anything with it. You don't need to solve it. You don't need to push it away. Just let it come. Let God bring to front of mind whatever it is. Now what I want to do 
first is just to say for those of you that something comes to mind that is heavy, that is hard, that is overwhelming, I'm sorry. in that same thread, as we think about the thing that is disrupting our life and stealing our joy, I do believe this, that joy is a gift. That, that joy is actually a gift. That if we want to experience more joy, we can practice gratitude. That joy is a gift, and if we want to experience more joy to practice Gratitude, because it's gratitude that always leads to joy. I thought about the Apostle Paul a couple thousand years ago. Oftentimes he wrote letters to churches in other cities from a prison cell. And he would oftentimes in his letters say, I thank God for you. I've sat with them. Like, why would he just be thanking these people? And it could be like, hey, man, you guys are doing great work. I'm so thankful for you. But I wonder if Paul in his prison cell is practicing gratitude. Because the cell that he is in, there's no joy inside of his cell. But joy isn't something that we find intrinsically to then make us happy on the inside. Joy is actually something from the inside that changes the circumstances and the context that we find ourselves in. So I just want to give us a moment to not fix the hardness that you find yourself in, to not fix the ways in which your life is not going the way you want it to. I don't think that's the job for us, is to fix these things. But I do think an invitation for us is to transform within them, to still be able to experience joy when things are the worst. And again, not to fake it, to have, but have a resoluteness that God has a promise and a purpose through all parts of my life. And so what I want to invite us to now, Caitlin and I have been doing some um, marriage coaching for a little bit now because marriage is hard. Um, and our coach has really helped us process through ways when we're missing, when we're not communicating, when things feel off kilter. We've both done therapy and we're not always like, don't always need to go fully back to figure out what it stemmed from, but to really just have someone hold us accountable to practices that help change who we are inside of our marriage. Because again, I, I don't think these practices are making marriage any easier but we have an invitation to transform within our marriage. And one, one thing he invited us to do is say, hey, over the next few months, say thank you to each other every single day. It could be the smallest thing, it could be the biggest thing. Just say thank you. Just say thank you. And oftentimes it's not very big things, but it's like, hey, thank you for getting the girls ready this morning. Thank you for cleaning. Thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for very small things. And what I found within two weeks, honestly, two weeks, it started to feel like our, my marriage was better. And I don't think much changed within our marriage, especially with young kids, things are extra hard, but I started to change. I started to be reminded that I could sit here and I could look at all the things that are wrong and are hard and are challenging and not the way I want them to go. But within that, I could also find the one, the twos, the threes to be grateful for. And I could be more joyful in my marriage and I could show up more present. So I want you to do again is just to close your eyes if you would like to. But for two minutes, knowing the thing, whatever God brought to mind for you, for two minutes, I want you just to rattle off in your head every single thing that you're thankful for. Get in as many as you can. They don't have to be big. Just what are you grateful for this morning? And just tell God. Rattle them off.
Keep going. What are you grateful for? Just keep rattling them off. Do you feel that? You feel that whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, you can still sit there and you can practice gratitude for all the other things that you probably miss and that oftentimes when contexts are very hard, you forget about, you dismiss, nothing else matters, everything is the worst. But in reality, there is so much still to be grateful for. And what God has instilled in the practice of gratitude is for us to be able to find joy to receive his gift of joy, to be able to worship, to be able to connect with, to have, to have a deeper relationship with God. Can we be people that practice gratitude, no matter the context we find ourselves in, trusting that in that gratitude, God will continue to offer the joy that only he can offer? Because if you notice, it wasn't the Magi went and found joy. It wasn't that they went and attained joy by giving gifts. It was that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Gift joy is not something for you to earn, but it's something for you to receive. And one of the ways that we can become and sustain and be joyful people, no matter the circumstance, is to be people of gratitude. What would it look like for you this week? And the theme of joy, as you've been doing the Advent devotional, there's more copies if you haven't. What would it look like each time you open that up? Maybe you just, for a moment, here's one thing that I'm grateful for, God. Start there. What's one thing each day that you're grateful for? Maybe step two is to tell someone else one thing that you're grateful for. And maybe it's a thank you to them. Why don't we stand? Because see, I think it's these things. Some of the major challenges in life and where things get more and more challenging and where we tend to lose joy very quickly is when things do not go our way. When things go unwanted, when things go undesired, when things go unexpected. Yet at the same time, I think the greatest opportunity and invitation we have in life with God is to trust that when it is unexpected, when it is unwanted, when it is undesired, that he is still good, that his kingdom still reigns, that he is still inviting us into a life with him, that he has a promise that gives us a purpose no matter what situation we find ourselves in. It was through the random, unordinary, peculiar social life of John the Baptist that God's kingdom entered in and moved through but he was open. It was through the ordinary small town girl like Mary who God's kingdom worked in and through because she was open. It's through the magi, the one-offs, the people outside religiously that are trying to find God in whichever way possible, not thinking they have it fully rationalized or figured out yet. And also not being like, I have to know everything. I have to know everything before I take a step forward. It was the magi, the outsiders that God's kingdom came in and through and they filled them with joy, but because they were open, they embraced the mystery that God extends to you and I. That no matter the circumstance, now we can have joy. I will never fully understand it, but this is the truth that he gives us over and over. So I pray this morning, the last step in this time of communion and reflection is to ask God for more joy. 
Communion is the opportunity to dip the bread in the cracker which represents the body of Jesus and his blood that he invites us into life with him. And to week in, week out, remember that God has invited us into life with him. And it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus, just completely motivated by God's love for you and I. So in this time, may you go and take communion as you would like. There's tables on either side. But reflect. Do you want more joy this morning? In what area of your life do you want more joy? And may you ask God in these minutes and moments for more joy. And I'll come back up just in a few minutes and close us out. Thank you.